please, and open them to Revelation chapter 11. We're beginning this 11th chapter tonight of this marvelous book that's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. This is one of those chapters that puts us into the middle of controversy. Uh, Most Bible expositors agree that this is one of the most difficult chapters in the book of Revelation to interpret. And we came to chapter 10 just a few weeks ago. uh, We were dealing with that controversy that was in the first verse, that one about about the angel. Is that an Uh, elect angel of God, or is that the Lord Jesus Christ? That's a controversy, and there's lots of people who are on both sides of that question. Well, chapter 11 also begins with controversy. Uh, There's a controversy over the temple that's to be measured. Is that a, is that, uh, what temple is that? Is that an earthly temple? Is that talking about a heavenly temple? Is it somehow symbolic of the church, and there's something we're to learn from that? And what does it mean when John is told to measure it? What's the significance of that? Then you move on into verse number 3 and you hit another wall of controversy there because the Bible talks about two witnesses that are coming uh, during the tribulation period and people wonder, is that somebody that we've already seen before? Is that somebody that's already told about in Scripture? Or will those two witnesses be somebody new? And that's just part of the problem that you get in interpreting these verses. We're going to have some time to get into all those different kinds of things as we go through the 11th chapter. But this evening... We're going to look just at the first two verses in this chapter. We're going to talk about measuring the temple and the significance of that. And then uh, I'll I'll talk about that in the second half of the message. Then we'll have some other comments to make in the very beginning. So if you'd stand with me, please. We're just going to read two verses here in Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Revelation 11, 1 and 2. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod... And the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court, which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for each one who's come tonight to hear the preaching of your word Ask you, Lord, that you just might bless in the message this evening. Give us some understanding of these things that we read in the book of Revelation. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to remind you as we begin this 11th chapter that we're in this interlude that's between the sounding of the sixth and the seventh trumpets. Uh, the seven trumpets are a part of the action that takes place under the opening of the seventh seal that's on Redemption Scroll. If we go back to chapter 9, we saw the opening of the sixth trumpet there, or the sounding of the sixth trumpet, and there was an army of demons that was 200 million strong that was released upon the earth. They had the power to torment men. The Bible says that one-third of all the people, the world's population, was killed. That's one-third of all those that were left after those that had died in the opening of the previous seals. But then we come to chapter chapter number 10, and we find uh, uh, that's true to the pattern of the book of Revelation. There's a little break in the action here. There's a pause, and there's some things that, new things that are explained. That's when that mighty angel comes down uh, from heaven, and he sets one foot upon the sea and one foot upon the earth, and he announces that things are coming to a very swift conclusion. The delays are over. Uh, For thousands of years, uh, God has allowed Satan to usurp his authority in this world. And now God is putting all the final pieces together to reclaim the earth and to establish his kingdom. 
Oh, in this interlude, in that same interlude, chapter 11 begins, and we find this goes all the way down to verse number 15. And in this space, God calls out two mighty witnesses that come in great miraculous power. They come, they speak, they testify of the gospel of Christ. Now, next week, we're going to start talking about them and For a couple of weeks, or three weeks, I think it is, we're going to talk about those two witnesses. But before we get to all of that, I I think that there is some interesting business that we can take care of in these first two verses. In these verses, John is told to measure the temple. And I'll get to that in just a few minutes, but before we do, I want to talk to you first of all tonight about the measurement of the tribulation. What about the time of the tribulation? How is it that we know how long the tribulation is going to be. When is it going to come? And where is this idea, where does it come from that there is a dividing line, there's a separating line in the tribulation so that you have two halves, a first half and a second half? How do we get the idea that there are two parts to it? I know that there are some of you that have been wondering about that because we haven't really discussed that in detail We've gone through part of the Revelation, and we've talked about tribulation. I've said over and over again, we're speaking about a seven-year period, but we haven't actually seen anything in the book of Revelation that defines that. There's really nothing there that says, well, yes, this is seven years. So how do we know that it's going to be seven years? Does the Bible give any real indication of that? Well, I would say, first of all, that you really need to pay attention to that number seven. Seven is a very important number in the Scriptures, and we've seen it over and over again in this book. Remember when we started out there back in chapter 1, we were talking about seven golden candlesticks, and those seven candlesticks represented the seven churches of Asia. Each of those churches have a pastor, so you have seven pastors. You have seven spirits, which speaks of the completion or the perfection of the Spirit. There are seven seals. We've been talking about those that are on redemption scroll. In the seventh seal, there are seven trumpets. In the seventh trumpet, we'll get to it a little bit later on, but there are seven vile judgments, seven bold judgments that are going to be poured out upon the earth. And all of that takes place before the coming of the millennial kingdom. So seven is a number of completion. In some cases in the Bible, it's a number of perfection. And so without even mentioning that there's going to be seven years of tribulation, I think that we could already see that things are heading that way. I mean, seven is a very important number, and somehow it seems that seven is going to play into this. And it's only fitting that God would take seven years to uh, complete his judgment upon men before the millennial kingdom begins. But we do actually have an indication in Scripture that tells us about this. Uh, It tells us how long the tribulation will be. And we kind of have to decipher some things to find that out. And it comes from a prophecy that's in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. So we're going to talk about the weeks of Daniel. So if you'll take your Bible and turn to Daniel uh, chapter 9, we have several verses that I want to read here. And this will help us to discover the measurement of the tribulation. And we're going to take a few minutes to read these verses that will help your understanding of this. But I want to tell you up front, it's a little bit confusing. And so you have to pay really close attention to make sure that you get it all so you understand exactly what I'm saying. But in Daniel chapter 9, if you look there, we're going to start reading in verse number 1. Daniel 9, verse number 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the Lord, word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, 
that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Now, the important thing for us to understand from verse number 2 is that uh, Daniel is given a prophecy, and he tells us here that he's given the understanding of the number of years. I want you to keep that in mind because that's going to be very important that we understand Daniel is talking about years in these verses that we're going to read next. Now, let's go down near the end of the chapter to verse number 20 and begin reading there. And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord, my God, for the holy mountain of my God, yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now there we see that the angel Gabriel appeared to Daniel to give him an explanation of the vision that he had seen. If you want to read about that vision, you go back to chapter 7 and 8, and you can read about it there. But in chapter 9, Daniel was praying. He was confessing his sins and the sins of the people. And remember here that Daniel is in captivity in Babylon. This is after the children of Israel had been carried away into captivity after the temple was destroyed. And Daniel is praying to the Lord. He's asking God to bring the people back into the land and to restore them to the kingdom. Now, God then tells Daniel how it's all going to work out. It's going to cover a long period of time. He says there are 70 weeks of years that have to take place in God's prophetic calendar. Now, in verse 24, we see that there are 70 weeks that are determined. Now, we need to go back then to verse number 2, and what I told you, remember, just a moment ago, that Daniel there is thinking in terms of years. And so these weeks are actually 70 weeks of years. In other words, there are 490 years that are in this prophetic calendar of God. Now, lest you think that this is all conjecture and that uh, maybe you can't really put things together this way, you need to understand that in the Hebrew, it doesn't say here that there are weeks of years, but rather it's simply a measurement. The word there in the Hebrew means that there are 77s. That's all it says. And the indication or what it means is that this is a 77s of some kind of measurement. Well, how do we know what the measurement is? Well, that's what we found in verse number 2. Daniel says that this is the number of years. So we know the measurement that he's talking about is in years. So we're speaking of 490 years. Now, what happens after the 70 weeks is the reconciliation of Israel. Now look back at verse 24 there. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. So at the end of these 70 weeks, here's what we know. There is going to come a kingdom of everlasting righteousness righteousness. 
And what that is, that is a description of the millennial kingdom of Christ. Now, go down to verse number 25. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. Now, what he's speaking here is about the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And there was a command that was given to rebuild Jerusalem by Artaxerxes in Nehemiah chapter 2. Now, if you remember in our study of Nehemiah, you know that Nehemiah is the one who was given the commission to go back and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And that particular decree was made in 445 B.C. Now, in Daniel 9, verse number 25, we see that there are 69 weeks from that time until the time of the Messiah, and that time period is divided into two different, er- two different times. There are seven weeks, which equals 49 years, And you add that to 445 B.C., and that will bring you to 397 B.C. Now, that's a significant date because that is the end of the Old Testament. That's where Malachi ends. And then 62 weeks, the other part of the period, equals 434 years. And so from the time of the Old Testament to the time that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross was a period of 434 years. So you have this whole time period, 69 weeks, 483 years from the time that Artaxerxes gave the command that Jerusalem should be rebuilt up until the time that Christ was crucified. Now, you've got to be thinking here that this is absolutely a remarkable prophecy because what Daniel is given here is the exact timing that the Old Testament would end and when Jesus would come. He's told exactly how long it would be before the Messiah appears. Now, let's go on to verse number 26. It says, And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. So at the end of these 63 weeks, that's one week plus the 62 Jesus was crucified. And at that point, the chronology stops. So that means you have 69 weeks that have been accomplished, and there are 70 weeks that are total in the prophecy. So that means that there's one week left. Somewhere we've got to find that one week. So there are 483 years that have been accomplished since the time that Artaxerxes gave the command to build the temple up until the time that Christ was crucified. And we have that one week seven years that are left that have not yet been accomplished. Now, that brings us then to the weight of disposition. In Daniel 9, 26, it says, And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, a few years after Christ was crucified, the Romans came and they destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. Uh, As Jesus said, remember he said this, there's not one stone that's going to be left standing upon another. And since the time that Jesus made that statement and the Romans came and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, there has been no temple there. The city has been without a temple all of that time. Now, the whole scenario is simply amazing when you see how this is working out in God's plan. You have to understand that God is the one who directs all of these things. The first thing that you have to wonder about is why are there still Jews? 
After all these years, they're still Jews, thousands of years. We can't find Canaanites, we can't find Hittites, we don't find Jebusites, we don't find Perizzites. There are no Philistines, but there are Jews. There are Jews all over the world. God has to be in control of that. God has preserved them. And then in the second place, you have to wonder, why is it that in all this time, the Jews have no temple? Every religion in the world has their temples. They have their places of worship. They have sacred places that they've set up to worship their gods. Roman Catholicism has St. Peter's Basilica. The Muslims have mosques on all their sacred sites, including one that's in Jerusalem. The Hindus have temples. The Buddhists have temples. And even that obscure sect of polygamous Mormons that was read by, or led by William Jeffries, he had a temple. That was in Texas. But when you go to Jerusalem... You don't find a temple. Uh, You don't find a temple to the Lord God. You find churches that are built there. There are churches that are built to every conceivable type of Christianity that you can think of. Jerusalem is simply overrun with religion. But the Jews, the ones whose city that this really is, they have no temple. I mean, the only sacred place that the Jews have, there is no temple for God. And it's really interesting If you go to Jerusalem to see all the places of worship that are there. We have a picture here. This first one up is a picture of the Pool of Siloam. Uh, In the Pool of Siloam, there are hundreds of churches that have been built down inside that pool through the centuries. Of course, they consider that to be a holy place. And so they built all these churches there. And it's almost like a ghost town. If you go around that, it looks like a ghost town of churches that are there. In all the thousands of years, the Jews have desired that they would have a temple, but they don't have one. And so what do they do? Now they worship at a wall that's simply one part of the retaining wall that held up the, uh, the temple mound. And so the Jews are there at the western wall, and they're praying, they're praying, they're praying, and they have been for many, many years praying that God will give them a temple. And they're putting all the pieces together now. They're putting all the materials in place to build that temple. But folks, it is going to take an act of God to make that happen. And it's not going to happen until God's timing is right. As you know, there's a mosque that stands on the Temple Mount right now. And can you imagine the war that would take place if Jews started going up on the Temple Mount and started building a temple there? If they started hammering nails and setting up wood and getting everything ready to build a temple, you'd have a war that you could not believe. It's not going to happen until God says that it will happen. So in the 70th week of Daniel, this is what's going to happen. The temple is going to be rebuilt. And again, that is an act of God that's going to make it happen because what God will do is that he'll allow the Antichrist to come to power. And the Antichrist will be able to forge a peace between the Arabs and the Jews that will allow the rebuilding of the temple. And that just shows you the amazing abilities of of the Antichrist, that he can bring a peace between these people that's been waging for years, and he's going to allow the Jews to go up there and to build that temple. And so when Christ comes, when he comes back, the wait is going to be over. Christ is going to usher in this 70th week of Daniel, and the temple will be rebuilt on the Temple Mount. The Antichrist is going to be uh, favorable to the Jews. He'll spearhead a peace initiative, and that'll put that temple right back on the Temple Mount. And it's all going to take place during this seven-year period. But let's look here and see what happens during that 70th week of years. Look at Daniel 9, verse number 27. It says, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, that's seven years, 
And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now, the one it's talking about here who confirms the covenant is the Antichrist. He'll make that peace pact with Israel. He allows the temple to rebuild, and the Jews will once again reinstitute animal sacrifices. Now, I've talked to you about that before, but that's one of the reasons why there are no animal sacrifices with the Jews today, and that's because they don't have a temple. They don't have a place to make those sacrifices. But during the tribulation time, the temple will be rebuilt, and the Jews will set up animal sacrifices once again. But in the middle of that week, in the middle of the seven years, after three and a half years, the end of the tribulation, he's going to break the peace that he has with the Jews, and then he will go in and he'll set up an idol in the temple and he'll desecrate the holy temple of God. So that's where we see the dividing line. The last three and a half years of tribulation is called the Great Tribulation. And what that does, it brings out the true heart of the Antichrist. He's not a peace-loving person. He doesn't have a peace-loving heart. He has a horribly destructive heart. And what he'll do is begin to vigorously persecute the Jews and everyone that has received Christ during that time. Later on, we're going to get into the desecration of the temple and how the Antichrist does that and then the horrible persecution that comes upon the Jews. So what we're looking at there then is the measurement of the tribulation. It's seven years. And we glean the information from Daniel chapter 9. It's tied to the second coming of Christ, the appearance of the Antichrist, and the rebuilding of the temple is central to that particular time period. So what we're doing right now is that we're living in an interlude between the 69th and the 70th weeks of Daniel. We're waiting for the 70th week to come. Now let's go on then in the second part of the message, and this is the measurement of the temple. Verse number 1 says, and we're back in Revelation chapter 11 now, And there was given me a reed likened to a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar, and them that worship therein. So the angel from chapter number 10, and I hope that I don't have to go back into the argument about the identity of the angel again. I think that's Michael the archangel. But he gives John a reed like to a rod, and he's told to measure the temple. Now, in the Bible times, there was a reed that grew in the Jordan Valley that grew to about 10 or 15 feet in length. It was very light. And what they would do is they would cut those reeds off to a certain length, and they would use that like a yardstick to measure things. So John is told to measure the temple with this measuring stick, a rod that's made from a reed. Now, I want to mention here three specifics about this measurement. The first is the place of measurement. What is this temple that he's told to measure? Well, I think that we can see from what we read in Daniel chapter 9 that this is a new rebuilt temple that's in Jerusalem. And we know that it's in Jerusalem and not some other site because verse number 2 tells us that it's in the holy city. There's only one place in Scripture that's called the holy city, and that's the city of Jerusalem. Now, we do have a reference to uh, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven. That's also called a holy city. But we know it can't be that because no one is going to tread underfoot that city that comes down from God. So what we're looking at here is the city of Jerusalem, the place that we know in Israel today. That's the holy city of God. And there's many references in the Scripture that we could go to that call it that. 
Nehemiah, when he was to rebuild the walls of the city, went to the holy city, and he brought the people back to inhabit it. Now I want to read to you a comment from W.A. Criswell about Jerusalem that I really thought that was fascinating. He says, Jerusalem is a city that dwarfs in importance all other cities in the world. There is none like it. There is none in the elective purpose and economy of God that can even begin to approach it. I once listened to one of our illustrious ministers who avowed, take a map or take a globe and put a cross in the Levant in the Near East in its heart in Jerusalem. When you do, you will find that all of the nations to the right of it, to the east of it, read from right to left. Then keeping your center there, all the nations to the left of it, to the west of it, will read from left to right. Here in the Western world, we read from the left side of the page to the right side of the page. But when you go to all the nations to the right of it, to the east of it, the Chinese, the Arab, and on and on, all of them read from the right to the left side of the page. As Ezekiel says, God placed Israel in the center of the nations. Three great continents center in that country, Africa, Asia, and Europe. It is a line bridge between those three great land masses of the earth. The strategic area is also a dividing of time. What happened there in that place divides all the centuries. Before the crucifixion of our Lord in that place, it's B.C., and after the crucifixion of our Lord in that place, it is A.D. And we're talking here about the holy city of Jerusalem. And if you're able sometime to go to that city, I I can testify to you that it is truly a fascinating and a mesmerizing place. All of the great civilizations of the world meet there. Now, the temple that John is told to measure is the fourth temple that's mentioned in the Bible. There are actually five temples that are mentioned in Scripture. The first one was Solomon's temple, and that was the one that was built in the 10th century B.C., and that's that great house that Solomon built that Queen of Sheba came to see and others came to see. They were simply astounded at the beauty of that place. But that temple was destroyed in 580 B.C. by the Babylonians. Then a second temple was built. That was built by Zerubbabel in the time of Ezra. And that was built in 515 B.C. And in 168 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes came and desecrated that temple. Then there was a third temple. And that was the one that was built by Herod uh, just prior to the time that Jesus came. And that temple is the one we talked about a moment ago that was destroyed in A.D. 70. Now, I have a picture uh, here tonight. It's a model of the Temple Mount. And this is what the people would have seen or would have been familiar with at the time of Jesus. What you're looking at there is the temple that the apostles were familiar with, that, that of course, what Jesus as well and the people in the first century before 70 A.D. uh, would have seen. Now, the second slide that we have here is actually a close-up of the temple. So the temple that John is told to measure is the future temple. It's a fourth temple that's going to be built during the time of tribulation. Then there's a fifth temple coming, and that's the one that comes during the millennial kingdom. Now, John is told to measure this, and the part that he is told to measure is the place of worship. And what that would include is the uh, two compartments in the temple building proper, which would have been the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. Now, we're talking uh, about the temple. That's the big building that you see right there. That's the temple itself. And then you have the outer courts that are around the temple. And where the people of God would worship is where the brazen altar was. 
Uh, no one was allowed to go into that structure, the big building there, the temple itself, except the priest. And so where the people would gather to worship would be around uh, the altar that's just outside of that building. Now you'll notice there in uh, verse number 2 that John was told not to measure the court that was outside of the temple. That's the area that you call the court of the Gentiles. And the Gentiles could come up on the Temple Mount, but that was as far as they could go. And this is the area that we're talking about here. It's this area that runs along here. This is the court of the Gentiles. Everything that's up inside this area and on back, Gentiles are not allowed, were not allowed to enter into that part. Now, you may remember in studying the book of Acts that Paul was accused of taking a Gentile into the temple. And that doesn't mean that Paul took him into that building of the temple. It doesn't mean that he took him into the courts, or, or, or and the building, I should say, proper itself. But they thought that Paul had taken him beyond the court of the Gentiles into an area that was reserved only for the Jews. And, of course, that wasn't true. Paul didn't do that. But it does show us that God had set this temple area apart from the rest of the people. And the Gentiles could not go into that particular part of the temple. And so John is told to measure only the part of the temple where the Jews were allowed to go. Now, again, that is the temple that's built during the tribulation period. Now, next is why he was told to measure it. What is the purpose of the measurement? Well, in Scripture, measuring something is not always to find out how big it is. And we know that that's not the purpose when John is told to measure this area because there are no dimensions given doesn't describe to us any figures about how large this area was that John measured. So we know that John was not told to measure it because everybody wanted to find out how big that it was. So there are two other purposes that are pointed out in Scripture for measurement. And one of those is for judgment. It's for punishment. You size the area up, and then the rod would be the instrument of, of punishment. But that doesn't seem to be the purpose here either. So we have to look for that third reason why you measure things, and you measure things to show your ownership. And so what God is telling John to do is to measure this area of the temple and to measure the people because these belong to God. God is saying, I own this, and God is marking out the boundaries. He owns the building, and he owns the people. And since the court of the Gentiles is not included, we know that that is a measurement of God's chosen people. We're speaking here about Israel. God has preserved Israel for all of these years because they are his chosen people. So why haven't they gone out of existence? And why can't we find Canaanites and Philistines? And why haven't the Jews gone out of existence like they did? It's because they are God's chosen people. God has preserved them. And he's made certain promises to them. He's made a promise that Israel would be restored into a kingdom of everlasting righteousness. Now, this is exactly where we're headed. The kingdom is coming. It's going to be restored. And that's why I think that as a nation, I mean, speaking about Americans, I think as a nation, we need to continue supporting Israel. Uh, we, we don't want to be on the side of anybody else that's against them because God is going to call a halt one of these days to all this nonsense that goes on, all this oppression that takes place by the Arabs and others. God's going to call a halt to all of that and I don't want to be caught in his crosshairs. So we had better keep America on the side of Israel. I'll just say that. Now, there's one more piece of this that I want to get to before we finish tonight. Number three, or the third thing here, is the plan for chastisement. Now, it's true. They are God's chosen people. They are going to be restored to the kingdom. 
But right now, Israel is living in apostasy. Right now, Israel has been, is being chastised just like they were in years past when, when they wouldn't obey and follow God. But there's coming a time in the tribulation when the nation of Israel is going to be persecuted like no other time in its history. This is the time period that Jesus describes when he says, flee to the mountains. He says, don't even take time to take your clothes. Don't go into your houses to gather up anything. And he said, woe to women who give suck in those days, those who are feeding and nursing children. Now, the plan for the chastisement is here in verse number 2. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles. And the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. So the angel says, don't measure this court of the Gentiles. That's because God has no covenant with Gentiles. He's going to turn the Gentiles loose during the tribulation period. And in that last half of tribulation, they're going to stomp all over the city of Jerusalem. Now notice he says here, for forty and two months. What's that? Three and a half years. The last three and a half years are going to be the worst of it. That's why it's called Great Tribulation. Now, it's, it, it's kind of amazing that uh, Gentiles are, in one sense, treading all over the holy city of Jerusalem right now. Now, I don't mean they're destroying things there, because they're not. But if you go into, for instance, the old city of Jerusalem, look around and see how many Jews that you see there. They actually only have one small quarter that's been reserved for them, and the rest of it's overrun by all different other kinds of people. There are thousands upon thousands of Gentile tourists that are in uh, Jerusalem right now. Two Gentiles, Gary and Mark, tread all over and walked all over the city of Jerusalem too. So God's setting up a time here when the Gentiles are going to destroy and, and, and just tread down the temple of God and the place of God, the city of God, and that's part of the chastisement that God brings upon Israel. Now that takes us back to something that I'll help us to conclude here. It, it ties back to something that we see in chapter 10. Remember that John was told to take that little book and to eat it up? And when he ate it, the angel said, well, the voice said, it's going to be sweet as honey in your mouth, but when you swallow it, it's going to be bitter to your belly. And this is part of that bitterness that John experiences. It's the chastisement that God brings upon his people. It's the bitterness of seeing Gentiles tread all over the temple and the city of God. So during that tribulation time, the Jews will reinstitute those sacrifices. And perhaps with all of those thousands of animals that are slain, perhaps with the 144,000 Jews that have been called to witness the gospel of Christ, there may come at that time a great turning of the Jewish people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are many people who believe that's exactly what will happen. They'll reinstitute the sacrifices and the people will begin to recognize through the witness of the 144,000 that the Christ who is represented in those sacrifices has already come. And that might be the impetus for that great revival of Jewish people. The ones that do trust Christ will be taken to a place of safety. And we'll get to that just a little bit later. But I, I'm just glad that the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes to the truth. And I'm glad that we are in a place of safety right now. If you're a child of God, you are in a place of safety. And just like Martin Luther, he said, the body they may kill, God's 
truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. I'm just glad I'm a part of that kingdom. And I hope you're a part of that kingdom too. We won't have to worry about all these things that are going to take place in the tribulation because we'll be gone. If you're a child of God, you'll be gone. You won't see all of that. Now, you'll certainly be with that great number of saints that comes back uh, and the millennial reign comes back with the Lord Jesus Christ and conquers this world. We'll all be a part of that if you're a child of God. I encourage you, trust Jesus. Don't worry about these things because if you know him, these things won't happen to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time we've had to study your word tonight. And Lord, we thank you for the great promises that we find in your word. Promises of protection, promise of salvation, promise of a heavenly home, promise of that great kingdom that's coming where we will rule with you. And Lord, we just thank you that you've made us a part of that. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as Savior, that right now they would hear the Holy Spirit's call. They would receive that call and come into the kingdom of God. Bless in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.